360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. High high. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine. This show is written, produced, and recorded by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program in Hu Chin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to colonizers as the Bay Area. I'm Theodora, your host for tonight's show. This is the fourth show in my series focused on healing racialized trauma in the African-American community. Today, you'll hear about an amazing organization called the Community Healing Network. I'll share a conversation I had with Enola G. Aird, founder and president of the Community Healing Network. On December 31st, 2019, the Community Healing Network wrote an open letter to Africans on the continent and in the diaspora that stated, we are on the road to emotional emancipation, healing, wellness, and empowerment. Come with us. You won't want to miss tonight's show. I'm your host, Theodora. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Full Circle. Again, I'm Theodora, your host. Before we get into my conversation with Enola Aird about the extraordinary work the Community Healing Network is pioneering, let's listen to a short story called The Eagles Who Thought They Were Chickens, written by Michael Wynn. There once was a great king who ruled a vast kingdom. He was a wise and compassionate king who had earned the love, admiration, and respect of the people. Perched at the right hand of his throne was a great eagle. Each day, the eagle would soar through the clouds. As the great eagle flew throughout the kingdom, the people would look up into the sky with pride, as this great eagle symbolized the greatness of the kingdom. It was a land rich in natural beauty and resources. The people were full of pride, possessing a rich culture and heritage. But one day, invaders came into the land, and there was a great battle. The kingdom was overthrown. The people were captured, and the great eagle was put into a cage and placed with the people aboard a ship. The great eagle, who had only known freedom, could not live in the cage and would die during the middle passage between Africa and the Americas. However, before the eagle died, she laid three eggs. Upon the death of the eagle, a shipmate went to the captain and said, Captain, the great eagle has died. However, she has laid three eggs. The captain laughed <laughs> and said, Ha! Put the eggs in with the chickens. The captain knew that this great eagle was the last remaining symbol of the once strong and proud people whom he had captured. Her eggs would be hatched and raised as chickens. They would become a symbol of the captain's conquest. 
After the ship completed its journey, the eagle eggs, together with the chickens, were taken to the chicken yard. A short time later, the eggs hatched. Two boys and one girl eagle were born. The chickens laughed at the baby eagles. <laughs> what ugly chickens! Look at their big heads and short necks. Look at how long and out of proportion their wings are. The baby eagles were the objects of constant scorn and ridicule by the chickens and were made to feel ugly and inferior. Not knowing of the greatness of their culture and heritage, they walked throughout the chicken yard with their heads down, feeling that they were indeed dumb, ugly chickens. The ship made another journey and another kingdom was overthrown and another great eagle was captured. However, this eagle survived the Middle Passage, and when the ship returned to America, the wings of the great eagle were clipped, and he was thrown into the chicken yard. But the spirit of the eagle was not broken, and he flapped his wings desperately trying to fly. The chickens laughed at the frustrated efforts of the foolish, ugly chicken. The chickens laughed at the eagle, saying, what are you trying to do, you dumb, ugly chicken? Chickens can't fly. But the eagle responded, I am not dumb, I am not ugly, and I am certainly not a chicken. The eagle turned to the other eagles, who thought they were chickens, and said to them, We are not chickens. We have come from a land rich in history and cultural heritage. We were not born to walk like chickens but to soar through the clouds. We are the symbols of a great and proud people. He then turned to the chickens and yelled at them, Be quiet, you foolish chickens. The chickens were frightened by this bold and arrogant chicken. They ran to the roosters and told them of the confusion that this ugly chicken was causing and of how boldly he had spoken to them. There were three roosters who reigned over the chicken yard. When they heard of this arrogant chicken, they went to the great eagle and demanded that he be quiet, stop his boasting, and causing so much commotion in the chicken yard. But the eagle spoke boldly to the roosters, saying, How dare you call me a chicken? I am an eagle. The roosters were shocked at the boldness of this ugly chicken and immediately attacked the eagle. With his wings clipped, the three roosters were too much for the eagle. The roosters pecked and clawed the eagle until he lay on the ground, beaten and defeated. The roosters and chickens laughed at the beaten eagle. One of the roosters turned to the other eagles and said, You dumb ugly chickens had better not cause any trouble or the same will happen to you. The eagles, who were afraid of the roosters, bowed their heads, turned and walked away. The great eagle eventually dragged himself into a corner of the chicken yard, where he laid beaten and defeated. The chickens continued to scorn and ridicule the eagle as he lay there day after day. One morning, as the chickens came out into the chicken yard, they noticed that the great eagle was no longer lying in the corner. There were all sorts of commotion as the chickens and eagles who thought they were chickens wondered what had happened to the ugly chicken. When the roosters heard that the chicken, whom they had beaten, was no longer lying in the corner of the chicken yard, they began crowing. One of the roosters asked, Where is that ugly chicken? If he's causing trouble again, we'll have to teach him another lesson. At that moment, one of the chickens pointed to the top of the chicken yard fence and shouted, There he is! There, 
perched atop the fence, was the great eagle whose wounds had healed and whose clipped wings had once again grown full. One of the chickens shouted, You dumb chicken, you better get down off that fence. Chickens can't fly. One of the roosters shouted, You dumb chicken, we're really going to teach you a lesson this time. One of the eagles, who thought they were chickens, shouted, You better come down from there, or you're going to get us all in trouble. But the great eagle simply ignored the demands of the chicken and threat of the rooster. He turned to the eagle. My brother, we are not chickens. As I told you, when I was first brought here, we are eagles. We are descendants of a strong and proud people. Ours is a history rich in its greatness and cultural heritage. We were not born to live or to walk as chickens, but to soar into the clouds. Come with me, spread your wings and fly. The great eagle spoke with power and authority. The boldness and conviction of his words touched the spirit of one of the eagles who lifted his head and spread his wings. As he flapped his wings, he lifted a few feet from the ground, but became frightened and fell back to the ground. The roosters and chickens all laughed at how foolish and arrogant this great eagle was to tell these ugly chickens that they could fly. But the great eagle spoke again. Trust me, my brothers. Come with me, my sister. You can do it. We have the power to soar into the clouds. With this encouragement, the eagle flapped his wings again and soared above the chicken yard. The chickens and roosters were speechless. With wonder and surprise, they could only watch as this great bird, who had only known shame and ridicule in his life, who believed himself to be dumb and ugly, now soared high above the chicken yard with pride and newfound dignity. His wings were indeed beautiful and strong. The young female eagle didn't need any more encouragement. She simply started running as an airplane going down a runway, flapping her wings. She soared into the sky full of pride and grace. No longer a dumb, ugly chicken, she realized her brilliance and beauty. The great eagle turned to the last remaining eagle and said, Come with us. Believe in yourself. Just spread your wings and fly. But the last eagle lowered his head and said, I cannot. I am a chicken. Chickens cannot fly. The eagle understood that despite his potential, the last remaining eagle had lived with ridicule for too long. His spirit had been broken. His self-esteem had been crushed. His self-image had been destroyed. Never knowing the richness of his culture, the brilliance of his people, or the land from which he had come, he did not believe that such a place existed or that he had the power to fly. The great eagle spread his massive wings and like an eclipse, his shadow covered the chicken yard. He said to the remaining eagle, who was steadfast in his belief that he was a chicken, I will pray for you, my brother, that one day you will come to understand the richness of your culture and heritage, that you too will join us for our destiny is in the skies. With that, the great eagle flapped his wings and soared with beauty and majesty into the sky where he joined the other two eagles. Come, 
my brother and sister. We must journey throughout this land. There are many eagles who are living as chickens. Their wings have been clipped and their spirits have been broken. Since that day, eagles have been soaring throughout the world, helping others to believe in their beauty, their brilliance, their potential, and the extraordinary possibilities in their lives. Welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Theodora. You just heard The Eagles Who Thought They Were Chickens, written by Michael Wynn and narrated by me. That story seemed like the perfect introduction to tonight's show. Let's take a listen to what people are saying about the crucial work the Community Healing Network is doing. CHN is Community Healing Network. It's a organization founded to inspire Africans across the diaspora toward emotional emancipation. Community Healing Network is about lifting us, freeing us from these diminishing stereotypes and images, and putting us in a position where we can be our best, create our best, and contribute our best to the world. CHN is an organization that is focused on bringing about the emotional emancipation of all people of African ancestry. It recognizes the physical, emotional, and even health impacts of 600 years of racism on people of African ancestry. CHN gets at the root cause of the problem by confronting the lie that drives much of the racism experienced, and that is the lie of white superiority and black inferiority. I've long wondered just how effective and powerful black people could be if we didn't deal day in and day out with the past and present effects of racism. I know that our potential is enormous. And I was attracted to the Community Healing Network because in my view, they were seeking to get to the underlying reasons why we aren't operating at our full potential. I believe that what Community Healing Network is seeking to do can be enormously powerful. And this is the time. And at the same time, it needs to achieve traction in a very busy, complex, overloaded world. And in order to get that traction, it needs to communicate its message clearly, effectively, and in a way that resonates with people of color all across the world. Hi, I'm Frankie Washington, president of the National Film Directors and Morticians Association Incorporated. The biggest problem we're seeing now is the proliferation of young, African-American gun violence in our communities and neighborhoods across the country. I've been in business for the last 25 years and, and in recent years I've seen our clients uh, 
younger and younger uh, coming through our doors. That was a time we only saw the 70, 60 year old and 80 and 90 year old clients that have died from natural causes or some type of uh, disease. But in recent years, we're seeing more and more of our clients that are 18, 19, 20s, 15, 12, 17, and 18 years old, which is very disheartening to us. Uh, it's just, it grieves us to see the young kids coming in to view their friends and classmates and relatives that have died senselessly from our gun violence and street violence in our communities. When I leave the office during the day where I've seen the senseless tragedies of our young boys and girls, uh, it, it's hard to sleep at night knowing that one of them could have been one of my children. It's very impactful and very profound that makes me aware that there's work that needs to be done. Hi, I'm Diamond Hawkins. I'm a part of the generation that focuses on reconditioning ourselves from the lies that have been taught to us for many, many centuries. I'm the generation that does the work, that carries the work forward for our future. I'm the generation that speaks up about what is not true. I'm a part of the generation that is tired of not having success in the way that is promised to us that we deserve from our own human rights. I'm a part of the generation that wants to use our voice in the way through tech, through today, through social media, through our colleagues and our conversations to carry the voice and let everyone know that we matter too. The work that CHN does is important for young people because we need to know in order for us to be successful, in order for us to be equal, we have to emancipate ourselves. The work that CHN does is important for young people because we spend a lot of time focusing on reconditioning ourselves and it's also important for us to emancipate ourselves so that we do not fall into psychosis, mental illnesses, and unpromising futures. I believe that CHN's work is imperative for our future so we can carry the work that our ancestors have done so that we can have equal opportunities on earth across the globe for the African diaspora. I believe that emotional emancipation is important for young people simply because we spend a great deal of time focusing on reconditioning ourselves. CHN provides the tools for not only everyone in the African diaspora, but more specifically for black people, young black people, because a lot of times when we focus on emancipating ourselves, we don't have the tools that allow us to be successful in that space. Welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Theodora. You just heard testimonials about the very real healing work that the Community Healing Network is nurturing in the African-American community, in the African continent, and throughout the African diaspora. Let's listen to part one of my conversation with Ms. Aird, founder and president of the Community Healing Network. The first thing I saw when I go to your website is defy the lie, embrace the truth. And then in your open letter, the first thing it said was we are escaping, come with us. Mm -hmm. What lie? And what are we escaping from? The lie is the idea, the concept, the ideology that black people are inferior. We have been, as a people, people of African ancestry, living 
under the burden of that lie for more than 600 years since the Portuguese sailed off the coast of Africa and decided to traffic in African human beings. And in order to justify for themselves the enslavement and dehumanization of a people, a whole race of people, a whole continent of people, decided to develop and promote the idea of white superiority and black inferiority in order to justify the enslavement of African people and the economic exploitation of the African continent. What we are escaping from is that 600-year narrative. The inspiration for my statement there comes from James Baldwin, who says that people are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. Hmm. And I was always, I'd give speeches where I'd say, yeah, people may be trapped in history, but guess what? We're escaping. Come with us. Mm. And uh, so that is the, the frame for me, basically coming out of Richmond, Virginia, where we um, stopped in the process of our 2018-2019, uh, 2020 Global Truth Campaign and Tour, our goal was to really raise awareness about the continuing power, the continuing destructive power of this lie, and our need to free ourselves and our children from it. Because no matter what the laws, no matter what the constitutional amendments, the lie persists, and the lie is the rationale for pretty much all the bad things that happen to us mm. as, as a people. It's the rationale for the disparities, the fact that doing anything while black can be deadly, uh, the fact that we're shot at, our young men and women can be shot at many more times than is necessary to subdue any living thing. It's because of that lie. And um, we've done amazing things with the weight of it on our shoulders over the course of 600 years, but we understand that it has been at a profound cost in terms of trauma, in terms of the burden of stereotypes, and the undermining of our dignity and humanity as people of African ancestry. And it is well past time for us to free ourselves and our children from it. Yes, yes. You know, you describe the year 2020 as our year and decade of perfect vision. We've internalized the lie, and that is hindering us and keeping us from living our best lives. What is the vision? What's the vision? What's the mission of Community Healing Network? Well, our our vision is a, a, a world in which we are flourishing in body, mind, and spirit, where we've moved beyond surviving to flourishing. Um, we tend to have an expectation that, you know, we're great survivors, and we, we, we're very proud of that. But we deserve more. We shouldn't consign ourselves to just surviving. We shouldn't consign our children to that. So our vision is black people flourishing, flourishing while black. And our mission is quite simply to heal, to mobilize and organize black people across the diaspora, to heal from the trauma caused by the centuries-old lie of white superiority and black inferiority, to free ourselves of toxic stereotypes, and to reclaim our dignity and humanity as people of African ancestry. What does that mean practically? The future that we're going to, that we're inviting people to come with us to, is a future in which we are back in our right minds, 
we we understand who we are as human beings. We understand that we're inferior to no living human being. And we live and walk in the world like that. Yes. We love and take care of ourselves and each other. We trust each other. We're emotionally empowered to work together, which is something that we don't do very well today, partly because that's part of the conditioning. Right. The lie brings with it a whole bunch of, a whole suite of of things that it promotes. Lack of self-love, lack of trust, lack of being able to work together. Um, And we also are going to a future where our children know how beautiful and lovable and capable, intelligent and worthy they are. And we intend to bring this reality to fruition in our own lives, in our own community first, and then we'll figure out how to make sure that we change the world so that every black person's life is valued everywhere in the world. Hmm. I looked at your website. I saw you do several things, um, offer several things at Community Healing Network, Um, the Global Truth Campaign Tour, um, the Emotional Emancipation Circles, Valuing Black Lives Summit, Community Healing Days. Describe to us some of those things. Like what is a Global Truth Campaign Tour? What does that look like? Okay, let me let me start at the beginning, right? So the first thing, we were trying to build a global grassroots movement for the emotional emancipation of black people. The inspiration for that came from a number of people, I would just name two, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King in his last presidential address to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference says, and, and it, it's, it's entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of a, a last will and testament. He then writes a book uh, based on the speech. Yes, I've read it. And he goes on at great length about the things, the many, many things that we must do in order to fulfill the mission that he has begun, that has begun you know, well before him and by others as well. He says the first thing we must do, the first, the very first, is massively assert our dignity and worth. Right. He says that um, there's, there's, there's this false sense of inferiority that teaches black children to despise themselves and a false sense of superiority that teaches white children to adore themselves. And we have to get, get, get rid of that, he says, that, that we need to wage a struggle for psychological freedom in any movement and I'm quoting here, that overlooks this necessity of psychological freedom is only waiting to be buried. Hmm. So when we look around and wonder why in 2020 we're still here, uh, in some cases, you know, in some cases just feeling like we're standing still and in other cases moving backwards, this is why. Hmm. Mm -hmm. This is why. We believe that this is the essential prerequisite for progress on all other fronts. I remember hearing him say, somebody told a lie one day mm-hmm. and made all things black, bad, ugly and, evil. and ugly and evil. Mm-hmm. And that's the lie. That for us is the lie. That I mean, when we discovered that, that speech, we thought, wow, this is, this is a gift. Because, you know, we were talking about this with a number of people and everybody was like, what are you talking about? 
you know, things are fine. Actually, we started in 2006, and so things seemed fine, although we were having serious problems with violence in our community, mm-hmm. all kinds of things mm-hmm. that, you know, that late made clear that we were not We, we just not look like right. we okay. We just look like we okay, exactly, Terry Williams. Um, but you'll recall then Barack Obama got elected in 2008, and we, we seemed even more foolish. Right. Um, but then 2009 and 10 came, and it was clear that he had unleashed, his election had unleashed the, the dirty mm-hmm. underside mm-hmm. of the lie. And sadly, that became helpful for us because people could then begin to see that notwithstanding all the progress we thought we'd made, that that lie was still underwriting everything, and that lie was still undermining everything. Mm-hmm. that we thought we had um, had gained. Mm-hmm. I do believe if you tell a lie often enough, people believe it and believe it to be true. Especially if you tell it with terror and violence attached to it. Brian Stevenson has done a wonderful job mm-hmm. reminding us of the extent of the terror that was inflicted upon us and our children and the the fear that was instilled into our people. And so the lie and the violence and the terror um, had its effect. And then, and then you know, the propaganda, of course. Of course. Uh, W.E.B. Du Bois calls it the, the most, you know, I think the most massive propaganda in human history, right, to convince a people of their inferiority. Mm. Tell me how you came to even think about starting this like what drove you to starting and seeing that this was really something that needed to be at the top of the black agenda well it was wondering why why after all this time tom burrell who's a advertising executive wrote a book called brainwash Mm -hmm, the myth of black inferiority saying you know why is it that black people are at the top of every bad list and at the bottom of every good list yes Right. I wanted to know why, why, why are we in this situation? I also wanted to know why people in my family had passed on the lie. Mm-hmm. Right? I wanted to know why my aunt had been the subject of so much pain at the hands of her mother, who was light-skinned and she was dark-skinned, and it was just a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And I guess if there's one thing that always does it for me is I, I when I was... Um, a lawyer in Washington, D.C., my husband and a friend of ours went to a nightclub. And at that nightclub was a woman, and I've told this story many times, a woman named Dee Dee. And she was, it was a very small club, and, you know, the, the, the band was lovely, and she was just having a wonderful repartee with the, with the band. And um, she was getting drunker and drunker. And my friend and I went to the restroom, she was coming out of the stall, and she looked at herself. She really didn't see us at all because she was by now very, very drunk. Mm-hmm. And she looked at herself in the mirror, and she said, Here you are, Dee Dee, old, black, and ugly hmm. as usual. Mm-hmm. Those words really pierced me, pierced my soul. And I wondered how many black people all across the diaspora feel that way when they look in the mirror. Not mm-hmm. to be able to look in the mirror and feel just, just joy. And I realized that we had been deprived of that 
because of this hierarchy of humanity that was de- this developed in order to justify enslavement and, and economic exploitation of African and Af- Africa and Africans. That's true. And, and because of that, we were de- deprived of that joy, that simple human joy. Yes of liking what we see when we look in the mirror and liking what we see when we see each other. Exactly. Including mothers and their children. Oh, yes. And that is the crime against our humanity. That is the most fundamental, heinous crime against our humanity. Yes. The money is... is, is, It's big. A lot. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's big. It's big. But the the rehabilitation that is necessary so that black children look at themselves and rejoice every morning as they passed that mirror. Yes. So it was that. It was it was that realizing that as a mother, I'm a mother in a long line of mothers, black mothers, who brought their children into a world over the last 600 years that profoundly devalues their lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I describe myself as an activist mother, and therefore I had to do something about it. I spent a good bit of time reading Garvey, and again, you know, the other reason I think I did it, quite frankly, is because of my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, right? He's the one, I think, who, I didn't know him, but it's in my DNA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's in my DNA to love black people deeply. Yes. And to want, and to love black people deeply and to see their beauty and wanting them to see it and wanting the world to see it, you know, uh, Nina Simone does this wonderful interview where people, someone's asking her, you know, why are you always talking about black this and black that? And she says, I think black people are the most beautiful people on the face of the earth. I agree. And that is what compels me to compel them mm-hmm. to recognize that, right? And I am like her, compelled. Sometimes I wish I weren't because my life would be <laughs> easy. I agree. Her. I agree with you. I'm a lot listen, easier. I'm listening but, to you and I'm going like, this is my kindred sister. I'm like, I am like driven. I could be doing else. something else. Yeah. This is Sunday. We are. This is a Sunday afternoon. Exactly. I'm in here exactly. in this mm-hmm. talking to you about this. I could be chilling. With my grandchildren. Exactly, chilling. Chilling mm-hmm. out, just Absolutely. relaxing. But I am driven. I'm like, I love black people so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep loving you unconditionally okay. and eternally until you love me back. And this is who we are as African people. This is who we are. This is what Ubuntu is, this notion that I cannot be me without you. I am because we are. Exactly. That is rather the opposite of I think, therefore I am. It is exactly the opposite. The individualist of the European story, the European narrative. Ours is a very different one. And we live it out wherever we are in the diaspora. We can't help it. My very simple example is my children, you know, when they were little, it took them a while before they, it, it dawned on them that everybody that they called aunt and uncle was actually biologically related to us. In fact, most of them weren't. No. What was that about, right? We have a kinship sense that is bigger than I and bigger than my, you know, my little nuclear family. I think communality just being communal people, it's in our DNA. It's in our blood. It we is. can't help it. It is. And you know what else is really important? 
it's what it means to be human. It this does. this shallow notion of I think therefore I am, it's all about me, the radically individualistic notion that this culture and western uh European culture has perfected, that's not what it's about, no. which is why which is why there's this sense of just, you know, emptiness in exactly. a lot of the West. This sense of emptiness, particularly in the United States, which is really perfected you know, self-indulgence yeah. and, 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 and just, you know, materialism. Yes, because you won't get any pleasure or love from your stuff. Mm, no. I don't no, think, I think so. it's pretty clear. But, it doesn't do that. But it actually doesn't seem to be clear to a lot of people because it hasn't stopped people from amassing stuff. Right, right. That's true. That was the voice of Enola Aird from Community Healing Network in part one of our interview. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll hear part two. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to a group last night, Nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation. Don't let anybody take your manhood. Be proud of our heritage. As somebody said earlier tonight, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black, ugly, and evil. Look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading and low and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high, and clean. But I want to get the language right tonight. I want to get the language so right that everybody... He will cry out, yes, I'm black, I'm proud of it, I'm black and beautiful. Welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Theodora. We just heard Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speak about self-determination. I can only imagine where we would be today if we had started up the path to emotional emancipation when he first urged us to do so back in 1967. We also heard part one of my authentic conversation with Enola Aird of the Community Healing Network. Let's listen to part two of that conversation. 
Tell us something about the emotional emancipation circles. What is that? Right. So Dr. King, in that same speech, says the Negro will only be free when he reaches down into the inner depths of his own soul and signs with pen and ink of assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Now, you know, it, it's also women. It's it's all of us mm-hmm. asserting our humanity, asserting our emancipation proclamation. Well, well, he suggests there that there's work to be done. Mm-hmm. And Bell Hooks in Rock My Soul, Black People and Self-Esteem, I believe, says we need places like AA for critical consciousness where we can understand, and she doesn't say all this, but where we can understand the impact of history on our emotional lives, on right. our relationships, on the well-being of our community. And it has to be where people are. And it was based on that. And quite frankly, it was also, you know, for me, the question was, how do we operationalize that idea? How do we create an infrastructure to do that and do what Garvey was saying when he says we must emancipate ourselves from mental slavery because whilst others might free the body, none but ourselves can free the mind. That's right. It's what Biko is saying. It's responding to that when he says the most potent weapon of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. How do we create a space? How do we create a process that will help black people to free their minds, to detoxify their minds and their spirits, and then to learn uh, emotional wellness skills, new emotional wellness skills to help us to be at our best as individuals and as a people? And how do we really understand, connect the dots, and understand that the stuff that we're worrying about right now, the stuff that we're dealing with right now, it's not accidental. Mm-mm. It's the product of a 600-year-old system in which whiteness has uh, endowed white people with advantages mm-hmm. over the course of 600 years yes. and burdened black people with disadvantages over the course of 600 years, going in, t- in radically different exactly. directions, right? Yes. Um, so this isn't accidental. So we need our children to know this. We need our children to know that this is the force of history as a result of this hierarchy. And the hierarchy is a lie, and we need to do the corrective work, share our stories, get them out, detoxify our minds and spirits so that we can be renewed and refreshed. How do we put into place something that responds to all of these points. Malcolm talked about it. King talked about it. um, Mm -hmm, Biko mm -hmm. talked about it. I mean, a lot of people are talking about it, but how do we actually create an infrastructure, a global infrastructure, to make it happen? And we reached out to the Association of Black Psychologists because we didn't, I mean, I'm a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about this, right? So we reach out to the Association of Black Psychologists and they're like, this is great because there are not enough psychologists and mental health professionals to do this. That's right. We can create a system where we can help heal each other. And one of the sisters in our um, Baltimore Emotional Emancipation Circle said it so beautifully. She said, we are each other's medicine. That's right. And that's what happens within the Emotional Emancipation Circle. So emotional emancipation for us is not something that is attained individually, but in community, because everything good comes out of the community. It's not about anything other than emotional emancipation in the sense of, you know, it's not a place to proselytize about religion or politics or anything. We are about how do we together defy the lie of black inferiority and embrace the truth of black humanity fully Fully. so that we can then move on, move on as whole people 
to do what we need to do in the world. And there's a lot we need to do. Yes. But, but, but racism, you know, creates a situation of incredible racial stress and all the results from that in terms of physical ailments and psychological ailments. The American Psychiatric Association years ago in its resolution against racism said something that was very powerful for me. They said uh, racism uh, adversely affects the victim's self-image, confidence, and optimal mental functioning. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it at first. I said, hmm, that's really interesting. Then I thought about it for a few more months, and I realized that's pretty much who we are. That's pretty much all of us, right? All of the individual, how I see myself, how I feel about myself, and how I'm able to think critically or not. And so for us, we believe that this process is the prerequisite to being able to look ourselves in the mirror and also then say and analyze our situation critically and develop solutions critically and collectively to solve them. Because I believe in black people, I know that once we do this, there'll be no stopping. There will be. That's what gives me goosebumps is once we Mm -hmm, get this. And that's why I can't stop. Can't stop. I got to keep going. You move through the world having been dehumanized almost every single day of your life. Mm hmm. And mm-hmm. still I rise and still I exactly. manage to accomplish. Who does that? Who right? can do that? Extraordinary. So, mm-hmm. And I think it took four to 600 years for us to get this. It's not going to take us that long to unlearn it. Will it will not. It will not take us that long. Absolutely but not. you have to be intentional. And you have to realize mm-hmm. you've got to unlearn it. There's many right. people that don't even think that they've got this in their spirit, mm-hmm. in their minds. I see that the late Dr. Maya Angelo is the founding chair of mm-hmm. your board of advisors. She joined Community Healing yeah. Network in 2008 when she yeah. heard about your vision and your yeah. work through some mutual friends. And what mm-hmm. she did was she invited your first you, you board. You did your homework. Oh, yeah. You, you, you did your homework. She invited your first mm-hmm. board to lunch at her home in Harlem. I'm like, what was that like? Yeah. It was amazing. It was truly amazing. I remember arriving there early and standing on the corner waiting for the rest of our group to come. And just like, is this really going to happen? Is this what? <laughs> you know, I can wow. imagine. And, and, it, and it, was, it was wonderful. I mean, we had a wonderful conversation with her. She thanked me for my vision. Hmm. And I acknowledge that, you know, and I acknowledge always. And I acknowledge here that this is God and ancestors at work. That's right. I do not take credit for this. I I really do believe, because it's been over the course of 14 years, that God and ancestors are at work. Yes. And my sole job is to listen and try to do. And so it was wonderful to meet with her. Um, we, at that time, she had just heard about the work. We asked her to be the founding chair of the Board of Advisors. She agreed. We asked her if she would do a fundraiser for us. Hmm. And she said yes, but you'll have to pay me. And we went along and, and um, said okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, with a little trepidation, it turned out that at, after the event, which is which is held at Riverside Church in um, Manhattan, and it was a huge thousand people or more, okay, came that night. Tom Joyner was there, Common was there, mm. and another friend of hers from Ireland that she invited. She just reached out to them and said, "You know, I'm doing this thing for Community Healing Network. It's called Saving the Race, the Human Race." And she felt that that this work that we were doing would be instrumental in saving the human race and i want you to come and they did okay and and after that a colleague of ours went over to her house on 
Sunday, this was a Saturday night, and paid her the $75. Now, why did she insist that we pay her? Because she said that people do not value hmm. anything that they do not pay for. Wow, okay. And we were then grateful and we will be forever grateful to her because I was then able to go to the Association of Black Psychologists and say, hey, this is my crazy idea, and you know who likes it, Maya Angelou. I know. I know. I don't think your idea is crazy at all. <laughs> it's crazy in the sense that a lot of people will say, well, you know, I mean, how? And I've had people say this to me. How, how are we going to get rid of racism? That's not, that's not even that, feasible. The most we can do is figure out how to deal with it in a more healthy way. And my view is, yeah, we got to figure out how to deal within this mess that we're in. Right. But you know what? Anything that is created can be destroyed. Exactly. We will destroy this. But but I think calling it a lie is really very important. That's powerful. And I've had people fight with me that's about, well, gee, that's so frontal. That's so, Mm-mm. you know... Why don't you call it the myth? Mm-mm. And and no, because it's a lie. You know, myth is this, this complicated thing that, you know, is it this? is it, No, this is a straight-up lie. I'm so happy they to hear knew you say was, that. They knew it was a lie when they told it. Exactly. And they know it's a lie every time they tell it. And I owe my children the truth. I owe them the recognition that this stuff is a lie. It's not true. You need to know, son and daughter, it's not true. Exactly. So that you can conduct yourself in the world accordingly. I don't even want to envision a future, our future, without doing this work. We've got to do this. And the time is now. Talk a little bit about the Global Truth Campaign Tours. Oh, the Global Truth Campaign and Tour was focused around 2019. So from the very beginning, we said we would like to engage a critical mass of black people in this movement by 2019, the 400th anniversary of the first recorded forced arrival of Africans in the United States. Zora Neale Hurston says, Mama exhorted us to jump at the sun. We might not get there, but at least we'd get off the ground. Mm. And so my view was, okay, 2019, that's going to be a deadline. We're going to work toward it, and we're going to be training people and through our emotional emancipation circles, etc., and, and getting this idea of need to focus on the root cause, live white superiority and black inferiority, as the, the, the thing that we need, that we've been missing, that we haven't been focusing on destroying. So 2019's coming, so we decide, all right, we're going to launch a global truth tour in 2018 to counter the lie, to raise awareness about the continuing negative impact of the lie and the need to free our children of it. We're going to introduce the emotional emancipation circle strategies and principles and practice to as many people as we can along this tour. When we get to Virginia, where Thomas Jefferson wrote in notes on the state of Virginia about the inferiority of black people Mm. and where in Virginia the laws and the religion took on the shape and the power of this lie. The lie invaded both of those things, law and religion. Exactly. And then got exported from there in the United States. Now, it got created in Portugal in the 1400s, but the American manifestation, you know, Jefferson's a big deal in terms of doing that. And so Virginia is a very important place for us to be in 2019. And so we planned to stop. So we, we, we started New Haven, Connecticut, which is the headquarters of Community Healing Network. Okay. Go to Jamaica, go to a bunch of other places. And then we're scheduled to show up in Virginia on August 20th, 21st, and 22nd of 2019. We, we decided we wanted to go to the capital of the Confederacy to engage in the spiritual work of breaking the power of the lie over us, over black people, 
over people of African ancestry, over the entire diaspora, over Africa. And to emerge and to, and to call 2019 the end of the past in which our, our lives have been shaped by the lie. Okay. And the beginning of a future that we are writing for ourselves, determined and driven by the truth of our humanity. Wow. So, you know, for us, it's like mm. we drew a line in the sand, that we went to Richmond, to the capital of the Confederacy, to declare our freedom from the lie. How um, powerful was that? It was, I can't, I don't have words. The video doesn't even really capture it. Just, it was very powerful. I can only imagine. What are you, what's the plan for 2020? 2020 is a focus on embracing the truth okay. of black humanity. Our Valuing Black Lives Global Summit, which we hope will be in Los Angeles, will focus on black humanity, lifting up the notion that has been so derided and demeaned of black humanity. The way that I see it, 600 plus years ago, we were thrown out of the circle of humanity. Right. Greta Thunberg was in a picture recently. It was making its rounds on, on Facebook. Uh, Greta Thunberg and some climate activists mm -hmm. were in a picture and AP conveniently cropped out the black young lady who was in the picture. Are you serious? And everybody's like, oh, upset, we've been cropped out of the picture, blah, blah, blah. To which I wrote, we have been being cropped out of the circle of for humanity for 600 plus years. years. Yes. That's what we need to recognize. And so we are coming back into the circle of humanity. We're not asking for permission. We are coming back into it. And we are demanding to be recognized as the incredible, amazing human beings we are. That is what Richmond was about, about empowering ourselves, freeing ourselves, right, from the most powerful weapon ever formed against us as a people of African ancestry. Every other weapon that they formed against us, we could defeat and have defeated. This is the very last one that we need to do. When I saw these words, it's time to put healing at the top of our agenda. We've mm -hmm. never done that. No, because we've been so strong. That's the amazing thing, right? We're always we're so strong, we just keep going. And not giving yourself permission to hurt and feel your hurt, mm. recognize you've been harmed, is actually a sign of your enslavement. Exactly. I believe that. Because it's not recognizing your humanity. Every human being hurts exactly. when wounded and must take the time to heal. And not doing that, which we have been not doing. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. We're entitled. We're entitled to take the time to name our pain, to name the source of it, and to free ourselves of it, to heal, and then to extinguish the source of the ongoing pain. And not just say, well, now we're healed and we'll just try to make do as the source of the pain continues to exist. And, you know, invite our children to figure out ways to, to, to make do, to survive in the face of this continuing harm. No, we've got to figure out a way to get rid of it entirely. I'm wondering if there's anything else that you would like to add to this interview. It's been so rich. Yeah. Garvey again. Yeah, I begin, I end where I began. He says, we have a beautiful history Mm. And we shall create another in the future that will astonish the world. Yes. That is the truth. And emotional emancipation circles for us are a way of clearing away. And this movement, this global movement, is a way of clearing away the most powerful barrier to that beautiful future, the lie. We've been living in the truth, it, it really seriously calling the entire diaspora 
to live in the truth. To live in the right? truth. So the 2020s is going to be our decade of living in the truth, right? Of just living in the truth, forgetting about the lie, exactly. okay. because we've been freed of that. You know, we've let that go. It's in the past. Perfect vision, 2020 vision. 2020 vision. Will help us see the truth. How can we get more information? Communityhealingnet.org. Go to our website, take the pledge to defy the lie and embrace the truth. Subscribe to our Flourishing Wild Black newsletter, and we will continue to be in touch with the community about opportunities for training as Emotional Emancipation Circle facilitators and more about how this Emotional Emancipation Circle process can be shared. We're just going to keep going. This is our decade for perfect vision. We've got a lot of things um, planned to help our diaspora promote that and advance that mission. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really... I thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Welcome back to Full Circle here on KPFA 94.1 FM. I'm your host, Theodora. We just heard part two of my authentic conversation with Enola G. Aird, CEO and president of the Community Healing Network. Sadly, we've run out of time. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's show and have been inspired to join us on this journey towards emotional emancipation. Please spread the word to all the eagles you know. It's time for us to soar. We'll have links to the Community Healing Network and other resources on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Our executive producer is Mickey Mays. Our technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. I've been your host, Theodora. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Please take care of yourself and each other. And most importantly, shelter in place so we can all stay safe. La Onda Bajita up next. Stay tuned. <laughs>